Isaiah chapter 41 verse 1 Keep silent towards me, O isles, and the peoples pass on to power. They come nigh, then they speak, together to judgment we draw near. The Lord is calling the coastlands where the islands are of Israel to stand before him for judgment to his holy court. They were practicing idolatry, and that's what they're going to get judged for. I'm not sure why he's talking specifically to the coastlands of Israel. It could be because they're touching Babylon, or because he's speaking to the regions that are on the coast, like the tribal area of Zebulun and Naphtali. I'm not sure. 2. Who stirred up from the east a righteous one? He calleth him to his foot. He giveth before him nations, and kings he causeth him to rule. He giveth them as dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow. This verse is about King Cyrus. He was the king of Persia who would rescue the Israelites from from the Babylonians. Even though Cyrus was a pagan, the Lord used him. He became a willing instrument of the Lord, even though he was not an Israelite. And he's actually a hero in the Bible because he helped the Israelites, even though he wasn't one of them. 3. He pursueth them. He passeth over to safety. A path with his feet he entereth not. The Lord gave King Cyrus the strength to fight Babylon. Cyrus would come from the east, and I guess he would come on foot as an army, because it mentions his foot, and his sword would be powerful. For who hath wrought and done, calling the generations from the first? I, Jehovah, the first, and with the last, I am he. It's the Lord who has called all the many generations of mankind to repent and follow him. He's called every generation from the very first to the very last. And the Lord himself is the first and the last. One of the names of Jesus Christ is Alpha and Omega. He gave himself that name in the book of Revelation, and that means first and last. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So it's a metaphor, saying that God begins and ends everything. He created us, and that's how he began us. And he will judge us and take us into eternity. And that's how he will end time as we know it. 5. See have isles and fear. Ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near. Yea, they come. Ends of the earth is a colloquialism and it means faraway places. So it's not a literal statement. Some people who think that the earth is flat believe that ends of the earth is a literal statement, and it simply just means far away or to the edge of land where land meets the ocean. He's talking about the coastlands of Israel. It's where the coastline meets the sea. It's as far as Israel goes. 6. Each his neighbor they help, and to his brother he saith, Be strong. Verses 5, 6, and 7 are talking about how the pagan nations that surrounded Israel thought that they could fight against the Lord, so they fashioned whatever they had into weapons to fight against the Israelites. 7. And strengthened doth an artisan the refiner, a smoother with a hammer, 
him who is beating on an anvil, saying, For joining it is good, and he strengthen it with knells, it is not moved. This is talking about the metal workers creating weapons to use in war for the pagan armies. 8. And thou, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, seed of Abraham, my lover. In the Bible, it actually says that Jesus is the lover of our soul. That simply means that he loves our souls. He's the one who created our souls. Here it's calling Abraham the lover of God. 9. Whom I have taken hold of from the ends of the earth, and from its near places I have called thee. And I say to thee, my servant thou art, I have chosen thee and not rejected thee. This is what the Lord said to Abraham. He said, I have chosen you, and you are my servant, and I will not reject you. Isn't that beautiful, to be chosen by God and to be his servant? The reason Abraham was chosen was because of his faith. He believed everything that God said, the same way that a toddler would believe everything that its parents tell him. Abraham's faith was pure. It couldn't be shaken. And he demonstrated his faith. When he tried to offer his son as a sacrifice, he believed that his son would be raised from the dead because God had already promised that his son would be a prince of many nations. And that is what happened to Isaac. But since the Lord tested Abraham and told him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham still believed God's promise and thought that as soon as he sacrificed Isaac that Isaac would rise from the dead. But actually the whole thing was a test and a metaphor to reveal that God was going to give his own son one day to rise from the dead. And that's why Abraham was chosen. 10. Be not afraid, for with thee I am. Look not around, for I am thy God. I have strengthened thee. Yea, I have helped thee, yea, I upheld thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The Lord upheld Abraham, and he upheld Israel with his own right hand, that is his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the right hand of the righteousness of God. Righteousness doesn't just mean that you're good. Anyone could be good today and bad tomorrow. Righteousness means that you have the opportunity to sin and you choose not to. But the only way you can be righteous is if you had never sinned. There's only one person who's done that, and that is Jesus Christ. He had the opportunity to sin, but he never sinned. And that's why he is the righteous one alone. And none of us can ever be righteous unless he is alive inside of us. And then it's his righteousness that is in us. Within ourselves, we're not righteous because all of us have sinned at some point. The Lord is saying to those who walk in the righteousness of his right hand, those people should never be afraid. Everywhere in the Bible that it talks about fear, it always equates it with sin because fear is a lack of faith. It means that you don't believe that God is actually able to protect you. It diminishes God when we're afraid. 11. Lo, all those displeased with thee, they are ashamed and blush, they are as nothing, yea, perish do the men who strive with thee. Whenever the Lord would allow the pagans to attack the Israelites, it was to punish the Israelites for their sins. 
But as soon as the Israelites repented, then the Lord would pulverize the pagan armies who had attacked them. As Christians, the same thing happens. The Lord will allow Satan to attack us or allow the world to attack us when we sin in order to get us to repent. But as soon as we repent, he restores our lives and then he pulverizes the enemy. 12. Thou seekest them and findest them not, the men who debate with thee. They are nothing, yea, as nothing, the men who war with thee. When God wants to diminish Israel's enemies, he will and he does. If you look at Israel on the map, it's definitely a miracle that it hasn't been completely overrun by all of the surrounding nations. And that's only because of God. And that's even when Israel is in sin, because today they still, as a nation, haven't acknowledged Jesus as their Savior. So even when they're in sin, the Lord protects them, which shows how gracious the Lord is. 13. For I, Jehovah thy God, am strengthening thy right hand. He who is saying to thee, Fear not, I have helped thee. The Lord says, I am going to strengthen your right hand as well, and I'm telling you that I am going to help you. So he will help the Israelites against Babylon. 14. Fear not, O worm, Jacob, ye men of Israel, I helped thee, an affirmation of Jehovah, even thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The Lord called Israel a worm, and that is because we're dust, we are worms. Even prophets called themselves worms in the Bible, and this is a correct perspective. It means that God is so much greater than us. The Lord says it to the land of Israel, that Israel is a worm. That doesn't mean that he doesn't love Israel, but it's putting Israel in the proper perspective. He created that nation, and he created all of us. The arrogance in Western societies today is really through the roof. We're so arrogant, we don't even realize how arrogant we are. Even people who call themselves Christians think that it's okay to be angry at God and judge him. But that's just because we're so arrogant, we forgot that we're actually a worm in comparison to him. But here it does say that the Lord is helping Israel, even though Israel has done nothing to deserve it. 15. Lo, I have set thee for a new sharp threshing instrument, possessing teeth. Thou threshest mountains, and beatest small, and hills as chaff thou makest. He says that his children will thresh out the other nations, meaning that they will have power over the other nations. When we spread the gospel, spiritually we're threshing out. Because when we share the gospel with people, people who used to be pagans or used to be secular will turn to Christ. Not all of them, but many of them will. The reason Christians today aren't threshing out is because they're keeping their mouths shut. They're not sharing the gospel. They're just nodding and smiling and trying to get along with the world, which isn't what we're called to do. We're called to make a difference. And when we're honest and genuine with people and we tell them about Jesus and we tell them about the need to repent and believe in the Lord, that's how we make a difference. And that's how we thresh out the nations and win more people into the kingdom of God. 16. Thou winnowest them, and a wind lift, lifteth them up, 
and a whirlwind scattereth them, and thou, thou rejoicest in Jehovah, in the Holy One of Israel dost boast thyself. The Lord says, You will boast about me being your God, and you will overtake the other nations. This can't happen unless his people obey him, because he will never honor our sin. So when we're living a sinful lifestyle, there's no way that he's going to give us victory, because that would affirm our sin, and he won't do that. But when we're walking in righteousness and following Jesus, then he'll affirm the gospel that we preach. And as a whirlwind or a tornado, he will scatter the enemy. 17. The poor and the needy are seeking water, and there is none. Their tongue with thirst hath filled. I, Jehovah, do answer them, the God of Israel. I forsake them not. When somebody is seeking the everlasting water of life, the Lord will not forsake them. He will give them that water, which is his Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, Seek and ye will find. If you really want to find the Lord, you will find the Lord. He won't forsake you. 18. I open on high places rivers, and in midst of valleys fountains. I make a wilderness become a pond of water, and a dry land become springs of water. Again, this is metaphorical, and it's about the Spirit of the Lord. His Spirit is like water springing up in a dry land. It's like a river flowing off of a mountaintop, which is geographically impossible, but in God all things are possible. If your life is a barren mountaintop, he can make his living water flow out of the top of it, just like a huge river. 19. I give in a wilderness the cedar, shita, and myrtle, and oil tree. I set in a desert the fir pine and boxwood together. This shita tree is possibly acacia wood, which was used in the temple furnishings that were made for the tabernacle. Myrtle is also a rare and beautiful type of wood that grows only in Israel and one spot in the U.S. that I know of. Pine and fir trees are very beautiful. He will make beautiful trees that are aromatic and beneficial in our lives. Trees are a great commodity because you can build many things with them. The wood from trees provides much comfort to human beings. 20. So that they see and know and regard and act wisely together. For the hand of Jehovah hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath prepared it. They always use the word and whenever it talks about God and the Holy One. That's because it's talking about the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son are one, but they're also two unique identities of God. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And when the Lord helps us, it brings wisdom into our lives. 21. Bring near your cause, saith Jehovah. Bring nigh your mighty ones, saith the King of Jacob. The Lord is calling the pagan worshippers to present their case in his court about why they should be allowed to worship idols that they created. You know, there's nothing more insane than worshipping something that you made with your own hands, because you're worshipping something that's less than you. 
And that doesn't make any sense. Only a crazy person would do that. 22. They bring nigh and declare to us that which doth happen, the first things, what they are, declare ye, and we set our heart and know their latter end, or the coming things, cause us to bear. The Lord is saying, have them ask their handmade idols to prophesy and explain creation and explain the future like the Lord can do. This is facetious. God is making fun of false idols. 23. Declare the things that are coming hereafter, and we know that ye are gods. Yea, ye may do good or do evil, and we look around and see it together. The Lord says, have your idols do something good or something evil, like have them bring a storm, or have them bring rain, or have them make you prosper, or have them punish you, and then we'll know that they're real. He's making fun of the idols because it's obvious to everybody that they can't do anything. 24. Lo, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught, an abomination, it fixeth on you. The Lord says, what you have created with your hands is worthless. Today we have lots of idols that we've created with our hands. It could be a fake body that we went and got plastic surgery to obtain, or it could be money that we obtained through taking advantage of people financially and in business transactions, or doing illicit things like gambling or prostitution or selling drugs. Our idol could be our own children that we kind of vicariously live through, and we push and aid them all of their lives so that they will have great status, so that we can be proud of what we created. Today, even if you don't have an idol in your house, that doesn't mean that you don't have a God that you have created. 25. I have stirred up one from the north, and he cometh. From the rising of the sun he calleth in my name, and he cometh in on prefects, and on clay, and as a potter treadeth down mire. Earlier in the chapter it sounded like Cyrus was coming from the east, but here it says he's coming from the north. However, Persia was both north and east. That may be why both directions are mentioned. And it says that Cyrus will call on the name of the Lord, which is true, he actually did, even though he was not an Israelite. He believed in the God of the Israelites, and he put faith in the God of the Israelites, and he served the God of the Israelites in war. 26. Who hath declared from the first, and we know, and before time, and we say righteous, yea, there is none declaring, yea, there is none proclaiming, yea, there is none hearing your sayings. Yea means yes. Here yes is a confirmation, saying that indeed your idols cannot declare how the world was created or how it will end. 27. First to Zion, behold, behold them, and to Jerusalem, one proclaiming tidings, I give. 28. And I see that there is no man, yea, of these that there is no counselor, and I ask them, and they return word. 29. Lo, all of them are vanity, not are their works, wind and emptiness their molten images.
The Lord brings his own tidings to Jerusalem, but the fake gods will not stand, and they're empty. They can't respond to the Lord at all. They lost the trial. They lost their court case before the Lord. They're nothing. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 41.